You're listening to the Wonder Women of Aviation, a podcast that helps preserve the history of women in aviation and highlights women involved in aviation. I, I do focus on women in aviation, right? But every so often I integrate a male and focus on how women have inspired your journey and shape your journey. Say culture is a big component of it. Aviation is a big component. And then I want to talk a little bit about just the women in your life. So strap in and hang on tight as we soar through the skies with these wonder women of aviation. So I want to learn more about that caring side of who you are and who Oscar is. Every so often I kind of throw in a little just different spice to my podcast. So does that make sense? It makes complete sense. And I think it's I think it's an incredibly uh, creative, intelligent, and incisive uh, thought from you because I I get that caring side absolutely from the women in my life. Um, And I, and I love telling the story about my grandmother. So, um, okay. All right. Let's do it. Are we doing it already? (laughs) Welcome to the Wonder Women of Aviation. My name's Natalia. Today I'm speaking with one of the two Hispanic CEOs in the top 100 fortune list. He was also named one of the hundred most influential Hispanics, um, the business magazine. And for those of you that don't know him, his name is Oscar Munoz. Oscar, thank you for being here on my podcast. I'm really excited to have you. Super, super stoked. Well, it's great to be here. Um, And uh, it's been great to catch up to you uh, before we started recording for the I love what you're doing. I love the spirit and the energy and the focus and, you know, the insightful way that you've gone about developing your career uh, in the midst of a love for aviation and finding your slot within it. And then doing something as creative and, and thoughtful as this. I just think it's a great way to express yourself. And that's a great way to showcase, uh, I think, the intellect uh, and as well as the natural, uh, the, you know, the, the natural charisma and caring attitude that I think Latinos bring to the workplace. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, you for those of you that are going to see this, I am so nervous, but you know, I, I just get into my persona mode, my Wonder Woman mode. So I appreciate that. <laughs> So, Oscar, for those that don't know who you are, I mean, half the world knows who you are, but can you tell us a little bit more about who you are, um, what was your former title, how you became who you are? Ah, well, that's a that's a book, <laughs> that's a, that's a book that we're writing, um, but, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, what, what you see in the paper and on resumes, that's what I do. That is not at all what, who I am. Uh, I have a fundamental, the person I am is a you know, over, over my life and through my experiences, I think I've learned very much to uh, comprehend and focus on what my purpose in life is. And, and it is to, to, to bring others the same experiences that I've had with regards to uh, acknowledging the value of a diverse workplace, and not just in color, but in thought as well, uh, the kindness that has been uh, extracted to me, and more important, a lot of direction in the perpetual winds of change that are in life, um, I've had a good opportunity over the course of my life to receive course corrections and directions. So, so all that has been given to you, uh, you can sort of give back. And, and I think that's the person that I am. My journey to where I became the, the only C, the only Latino CEO ever of a major of an airline. Um, you know, it's uh, I, I guess it's an interesting uh, point, but. 
I really do long for the place where I don't, I and you and we are not the exception to the rule, uh, but that more that it becomes the expectation for our next generation, you know, for your children and my children and the children beyond, where they look around and just because they have a different color, race, sex, or creed or lifestyle, that they feel they're limited in some way. So uh, I love saying that, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't really care to be the exception. I want to establish the standard for being the expectation. So the journey has been wild and long and tortuous and, and filled with ups and downs. But throughout of that, as I said before, the direction I've received, the kindness that I've received, and I think the value I've created back in investing in others and helping has been um, part of my journey. So a lot, a lot in all of those words, uh, but I'm happy to dive into any one of those things. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm going to take it back. So um, you are first generation college grad, but you were born in Mexico. Um, talk a little bit about when did you come over? A little bit about your culture, your heritage. Um, who is the Munoz family? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's a, a wild and sorted past. I, I was, I, I was uh, sort of, you know, as we think about dreamers today, I was a dreamy, a dreamer before any of that was cool or, or knowledge. It's like, so I, you know, I came across, uh, you know, got in the car and came across and, you know, after being born uh, in Mexico uh, very early in, in life. Uh, and, and, and I, I guess uh, at the end of the day, uh, just assimilated into the world that is America came at a time where I think it was important or at least most um, uh, most expected of immigrants to assimilate. So, you know, sort of leave your heritage behind, leave your language skills behind, leave the difference because at the time it was, it was not, it was not good to be something different. Right. Uh, even though the bias and, and racial issues that exist today existed even more so back then. Um, so I learned very early on to just become infinitely more American as a lot of immigrants of my generation and generation before me came, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't talk about regrets much because, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept. But there's not much you can do about it. But I, I think if I had to do some things all over again, I would have held on to my heritage a little longer. But again, uh, for all of you that are you know, in your generation, it, it's, become, it's become a strong a point of strength and conviction and, and power and, and Wonder Woman-ish sort of thing uh, mm -hmm. to be someone uh, that just happens to be Hispanic or whatever race. Uh, that wasn't the case back then. I mean, you really had to assimilate because there frankly wasn't that many people around us. So, you know, forging your way through that was difficult. I, if I had to do it again, I think I would do it in a more uh, in a more Latino way, I think. It's interesting you say that. And we're going to touch on that in a little bit later in the interview. But for me, myself, I'm bicultural. I'm half Italian, half Colombian. So I can totally understand and identify with, you know, um, I, I, for a lack of better words, identity uh, issues, right? Because it's like, where do I fit in the equation? Am I Latina enough? Am I American enough? Like for me personally growing up, it was, it was a challenge. So it's, it's interesting to hear that. And I don't know if it's just the, the time, the era, um, obviously things have changed, but to hear that is definitely, um, you know, there's someone else out there like me. Yeah. Well, and there's, there's a lot of people beyond you and I that have gone through many of their own personal journeys. And I think, you know, yeah. why I accept conversations like this, because you're a real person and doing a real job and work and, and the people that follow you and hopefully even more will see that they too are just really normal. And then the struggles we all face as humans first, and then right. all the, you know, the crap that comes around us all the time affects yeah. all of us. And, 
you know, mental health has become a big issue and all that's, and I, I, I think, um, you know, I, I love to say to people, you know what, that, that old line from, uh, that movie with Robin Williams and, uh, Matt Damon, where he just, you know, puts them around the lawn and says, you're okay. Or whatever that line was, right. It's, uh-huh. I want to say that to humans because we're yeah. all okay. You know, we got stuff in our heads from different places and your, your upbringing and such. And, and it's, it's good to, to have people understand that there's people who have accomplished things who are doing things in their life that are different right. and you too can do that and, and you control your destiny and all of those other trite issues it is so true and i you know when you get to be as quote experienced as i am meaning mature and older um you really really can look back and tell people it's like you know what i have a, a term that i use called swing easy and that's okay. in career and life it says you know to get ahead to do the things you want to do you, you have to be yourself and and uh, very similar to athletes in golf or tennis or whatever, if you watch them do the, what they do, they swing easy. And the ball in golf goes far, long, and straight. And us hacks, they get out there, you know, we're going to swing really hard, and it goes awkward. And that's the sort of the ana- analog that I use for people in life and in careers is just, you know what, you know, it's just swing a little easy. You'll be amazed at how further and straighter the course and direction of your career goes. Oh, absolutely. I think that's one thing I learned later in life. It's like, first of all, go with the flow, which goes with swing easy because not everything's going to go as planned. I mean, I have a list of questions and I'm just going with the flow. (laughs) Um, And then obviously be true to yourself, um, which is why I started the podcast. And it's, it's about women in aviation. It's part of my, my journey. And I want to go back to, you know, people are thinking, why is that? Why is Oscar on a women in aviation podcast? But the women in your life were a big influence and helped shape your journey. And I want to talk a little bit more about your abuelita, your mom. Um, you have five sisters. It sounds like you're, you have nine siblings and you're the eldest of nine siblings. So women have been a big <laughs> part of your life. Um, can you talk a little bit about how they helped shape the Oscar that we know now? Yeah. Well, first, the only, uh, the only incorrect statement that you made to a degree is that I'm the oldest of the nine. While okay. what demographically that is true, uh, as many people know, a few years ago, I received a heart transplant, which was a lot younger. So my heart's only 34 <laughs> years old. So I, I technically am the hashtag youngest child in our family, which, which creates a lot of contention, <laughs> which creates a lot of contention with my family. So, well, listen, I, I think um, I think that that uh, of all questions that you, you'll ask today, that's probably the most personal to me. Uh, there is absolutely no question in my life that my career my 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 how i lead all of that has been absolutely shaped by women uh the first and foremost really being my abuelita my maternal grandmother um when i was in mexico uh, my mom had to leave me behind when she came to the united states early and i i spent a lot of my formative all of my formative years with my abuelita in mexico she was um we, we didn't have we weren't we didn't have a home where she lived but she wasn't homeless. And, and, and only Latinos and Latinas can understand that, the concept of familia, right? Because yeah. we went to, I don't know how many family members, that I vaguely remember all these things, but we were always at someone's house. We were always welcome, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and cruised around so many different places until, frankly, America opened its doors to me and I came across as that original dreamer. Uh, and so, you know, what, what is most telling about my grandmother, and I think it's very much what has shaped me all my life, is she was just this incredibly, of course, hardworking as as people tend to be in the in the Latino space. Uh, she she was hardworking. She was loyal, um, and she never complained. 
um, you know, speed forward to later in life, uh, she ended up being a maid at a hotel in Las Vegas when Las Vegas was still growing. And, uh, you know, I went my way. I went to, you know, school. I went to live with my mom and and, and our, my new family. And so we separated. But I always kept in touch with Mama Josefina, we called her. I called her. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'd go visit her and she'd have her little friends at her little place that she lived. And she was living wonderful. Uh, but it wasn't until she retired that I really learned, you know, sort of her true value to to my up- upbringing. Uh, when she was retiring, I got a note from one of her uh, friends. It's like, hey, you know, Josefina is, is, is retiring finally at the ripe age of 86, just to be clear. Um, you know, and, uh, and you know, she, it would be great if you could come. So I, you know, I drive, I was in Los, uh, Los Angeles. So I drive out to Las Vegas um, and thinking, you know, it's going to be that same little group of, you know, the old ladies and we're going to go have fun. And my great grandmother was just always just wonderful to me. I mean, it's unconditional love. Like I've never heard or felt it or seen it. And I mean, it doesn't matter what I did or say, she was just, she just held me up in such thing. And we all kind of dig that, right? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and um, so I show up and, you know, behold, lo and behold, it's not a small little thing. It's a full blown function in the ballroom of the hotel. And it's not one team of people. It's a ballroom full of people. And importantly, the suits were there. So not only people that manage the hotel, but the owners of the hotel chain, a few of them representatives came to pay homage and honor to a woman that they, as I heard over the course of the evening, had never missed a day of work, was the most beloved human, gave and filled in for everyone, all and never, never complained, as I said before. And why that's a wonderful sentiment, and it was really unfortunate to hear that so late in her life. Um, what really where it really comes home is her her physical state was in complete disarray and decay. She had she had arthritis in one of her legs so bad that a couple of years later her her ankle fused where it just I mean there was just this giant thing the way it just never moved. And again, the entire time she just kept working. She I, no one ever knew that that was an issue with her. And so I, I think of that ethic of that work, and I think of all the things that I face in my life and my career. And I look at at her my my absolute worst day could probably be a best day for her because of what she had to do from a physical perspective. And that's always been the sort of the, so again, when I want to complain or feel bad about myself, it's like, okay, big guy, <laughs> suck it up. You know? <laughs> no, bad at work. <laughs> no, no. And then, so, and then and I could go on, you know, my mom was a chip off the old block and raised all nine kids. And, and I'll tell you, having five independent, wonderful, incredible sisters uh, growing up in a household that was, you know, not a big house necessarily. We had a, we didn't have a lot of things, you know, we didn't have a lot of material things, but there was a lot of love and there was a lot of contention for, you know, the bathroom and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, I, I learned a lot from them on how to sort of, how to, how to live with young women. And, and to this day, I, I will notice your hair and your shoes and your makeup and all of those things. Cause it's just something that, you know, I always learned to do. And, and that sounds silly, but when you notice things like that, you also notice other things about how people are feeling and their sentiments. And, you know, I am proud to say that in all of my career, uh, wherever I've had a chance to make up my form teams and create teams and develop teams, and, and United is a perfect example of that, there's an incredible array of just strong-ass executives who do their job incredibly well, just happen to be women. 
right? And that's the way it should work uh, because you find the people that are right and you give them the opportunity and just watch them shine. So yeah, it's been a wonderful influence. And so I, I'm glad you thought of it of me in, as a Wonder Woman of Aviation because I feel very, very close to that, that thematic. Right, absolutely. And one thing we talked off air um, before we got on was how you have this endearing and kind nature to you. So would you say that that comes from being raised in such an environment where you're surrounded by women, you're more keen to kind of tune into people's emotions. And like you said, you're noticing every little thing, you've got yourself a game on point. So did that help shape you as a leader? Uh, I think, it. I mean, this is back to this concept of swing easy, this concept of being yourself. Um, my history of having fought my heritage and tried to be someone else for a long time. The way trying to be someone else all of the time manifests itself is that you become this, this alter ego person where you have to change your cape, so to speak, when you go to work. You have to put on the, the voice as male do, or you know, and 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 what you learn over time is we are who we are, right? Human dynamic, the human mind and psyche is simple. We we are greedy and petty and envious and, and ambitious and driven and passionate and caring. We have all of those range of, of adjectives that you can describe a person. How we manage them, how we best use our best selves and fight our worst selves is a, is a really important thing. And I think what I learned over the course of time is, you know, early days and trying to be someone else, it's just too damn hard. Yeah. And, and I had to lose my, my mother at an early age of cancer uh, to really crystallize what I, what I kind of knew. It's like, here's a mother, she's 54 years, years old. She's been working all her life to take care of her kids and her husband, and then it's gone. And, and then life just goes on after that for everyone. And I learned, you know what? Why am I doing the things? And why am I trying so hard? Why am I trying so hard to be some, something that I'm not? And, and it's killing me. And I was a young kid, you know, I was in, in my career already, but I was fairly young. So that's kind of when I decided, well, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, the concept that I came up with, swing easy. I'm just going to be myself. And myself, to your, to your question, yes, comes from the woman in my life, but it also comes from being Latino and my heritage. We're just a, a naturally caring, loving, loyal sort of, uh, and, you know, uh, people. I mean, it's just, it's just who we are. It's how we're raised. Uh, the Italians, are that, a lot, all of us are that way. But yep. you for, you forget that upbringing that that raised me, and so it was a combination of all of those things. Where it's like that's who I that's who I am, and so as soon as you know, as as wonderful as my trajectory career wise was going at the time, when I let go and I started just interacting with people and and being you know myself, the yep. trajectory even got steeper. It was crazy how much, and that's where the swing easy concept came. It's like as learn as soon as I learned to let all that go, and I, you know, you, what, I think what you find out is we, we all tried to put a front onto someone else to impress them, right? It's a natural thing. Uh, over time, the people that know you, love you, work around you, know who you really are. And even though we, uh, we, we think we're faking people out with this facade that might be, everybody sees through it, especially the people that love you. And that's why they, they still love you. And once you have that realization that you are loved, despite you trying to fake things out, it's like, once you accept, your, again, all this stuff sounds trite to people, but I have lived it, and I'm telling you, <laughs> and it's a and it, it's a wonderful thing. So, yeah, that, that, my leadership style came out of being myself, and and everyone is different, um, and you don't have to be like me or you just have to be yourself because if anything connects with people is a genuine sort of thing. It's like you can be a genuine a hole, 
And it's yeah. like people know who you are, but you, you anyway. bring value in certain areas. But it's, it's who you are. It's when you try to be something that you're not. And it's a coaching and guidance I give to many people. It's like, uh, and so uh, that's that's kind of my history. Wow. Which, which you kind of dove into my next question, which was acceptance, <laughs> right? Like how, you know, I guess the turning point for you to accept who you are was when you lost your mother. Um, you kind of embraced that kind of take it easy mentality, which which is, I mean, kind of, you know, a catch 22, right? So embracing who you are, embracing your heritage is something that I struggle with myself. So, I mean, it's, it's a journey. It's, it's definitely part of the process. And, um, I wanted to ask a question with, you know, identity. Cause I, I was kind of researching different interviews. You kind of, you're a great speaker, um, a lot of podcasts you've done. And one of the questions that I had that when did you, when was it brought to your attention that you were different? Cause really we're not raised to think that we're different. So when did you know, that you were different from everyone else? You know, it started um, at first at a relatively young age. One of the things, uh, my dad was a, a meat cutter, a union meat cutter. Uh, so, you know, we we were very, you know, lower middle class, I guess, or whatever. Like I said before, we didn't have a lot, but there was a plenty of love. Uh, and and uh, one of the things that he and my mom did that was probably one of the wisest things is they, I grew up in East LA. Um, that's where we were living, in a town called Norwalk. Uh, for those of you who know California, the one ways, um, I, I can tell you a story about that in a little bit. But um, they moved us from that to an area called Huntington Beach, which is more of a, oh, for lack of a better term at the time, a white suburb. And okay. we we were the only Munozes in the entire block. And this is, you know, this is a, quite a while ago. And so, you know, people didn't know who you were or what you were. And so you felt a little different than that. And then, you know, but you're a kid and you go around, like you said, we're not, we're not raised or trained to, Hey, I'm different. So people are going to, uh, but you would feel little things. I mean, I had a neighbor who I was a good friend with, but his mom would always at different times when there were several kids playing at the house, she would come into the group and say, Oh, maybe it's time for Oscar to go home. Like I'd always say, what the hell? What do you mean? <laughs> Why am I, what did I do? Um, and so you felt things like that. I think, uh, in high school, I, I was when I was dating. Um, I, you know, I had a girlfriend whose parents told her at one time, "It's like, yeah, you know, shouldn't you, shouldn't you date someone more like yourself?" Or some some of those things. Okay. Uh, but but you know what? So you, you felt all those little things, and and it was really um, as I, I achieved things from an academic perspective, from an athletic perspective, you became a little more accepted because then you have back to this issue of identity. Then yeah. it was easy for people that aren't like you and I. To say, oh, he he's not like all of them. He is smart and he's athletic and he can speak good or whatever it is that people that and African Americans have the same problem. I used yeah. to use the word articulate, and they know a lot of people in African American hate that because it 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 it, it, it suggests that the majority aren't, and therefore if someone is, wow, so you must be different. And right. yeah, government, we're not different, right? We, there's a many of us like us if you give us the opportunity. And so, you know, you begin to feel some of that. But again, I was still in a world of needing to assimilate. So I would play along for a long time, uh, a lot through college. And then finally, when I got a little bit later in my career, that I was able to really embrace who I was. Hmm. It's interesting. Again, same journey, similar, I mean, different story. But I think for me personally, growing up was I always kind of knew that I was different. But what was disheartening for me, and I'm going to get into this is, you know, as an adult, right. Um, you know, I, I'm in the air show circuit and I'm not going to name any names, but I went to one of these shows in a small town 
And I had an older lady come up to me and she was like, oh, you're so, you know, you're so well-spoken. You're articulate. Where are you from? I'm like, Chicago. (laughs) She's like, no, but where are you from? I'm like, the United States. (laughs) She's like, well, you speak really well. Um, Where did you learn that? I'm like, if you're talking about my cultural background and my heritage, I'm half Italian, half Colombian, but I'm first generation American. So for me, it was kind of disheartening to hear that those silos still exist. And it's like, you know, this was maybe three years ago. And I'm like, what? Um, Which is kind of delving into your career, Um, you know, in corporate America, being the first um, Latino of a CEO, you know, CEO. um, How did you overcome those? I kind of just laughed it off, but how did you overcome, you know, certain, I'm sure it happened to you too. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Plenty of times. Uh, You know, I mentioned how people tend to categorize you in a, oh, you're different than them. Right. Um, I had a board member at one of my previous companies one day at a function. Uh, I had been recognized a long time ago, kind of, you know, uh, top 40, under 40, sort of rising professionals uh, right. in, the, in the Latino space. And, and some magazines showed it and, and somebody distributed. And so this, this guy comes up to me, puts his arm and goes, oh, that's so great that, that we, we, the company, gets credit for you, meaning you know, we get, we're getting credit for something that isn't actually true because you're not really like those people. And I look, I remember looking at him. It's like, it's like, I'm sorry, sir. I, I don't understand that. And I remember him being kind of taken aback and almost a little upset. Um, and, you know, I didn't know what he said. And it took a while, a couple of years for me to have the, the full conversation of how that can feel. And I think uh, to your question about my journey that I've learned and that I would give to everyone, the importance of dialogue in the issues of race, color, sex, creed, lifestyle, dialogue being that people are allowed to say on both sides what they feel. Because we all know that there's a, a very large you know, a group of people in America who hate the concept of race and color or, 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 or sexual orientation, right? They just don't see it. Either it's philosophical or religious or whatever. We all have that right. I mean, that's, what, that's why we came to this country. Um, but and so we we what I say about dialogue is we have to allow people to say things. And again, in this particular example, a white person to say like, I don't understand why we're having to do that. Hire yeah. someone black, hire someone brown, or whatever. Yeah. So aren't we looking for the best person? And now it, it it may be off putting to someone, and we may get upset. But if we don't deal with that comment and and converse and create dialogue in a meaningful, balanced way where rather than get upset, you can say, well, ma'am or sir, here is why I would offer you the example of why that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and when you create that dialogue, now, you may not get them to agree or whatever, but they're not going to w- walk away thinking, oh boy, I c- in this country, I can't say what I mean. You can, as long as you're willing to listen and people on the other side are willing to sort of dialogue back. Um, there's an example during last summer during the Black Lives Matter and, and all the, the discord that we had, and this is in the black uh, community. Uh, there's a there's a quarterback that just retired from the New Orleans Saints named Drew Brees, a, a very uh, Hall of Fame guy, incredible leader, uh, wonderful human being and family guy. And nobody would ever call him in the nearest way sort of racist. But if you all remember, there was a Black Lives Matter and then an All Lives Matter sort yeah. of counterpart that was mm-hmm. you know, was getting the dialogue and. And Drew Brees is just, you know, he's a he's just a football player, and somebody asked him how he feels about this, and you know, in a in a in a in a in a way that was just him, he said, "Well, no, I do agree that you know, shouldn't all lives matter?" And he said that, and the shitstorm that came out of it was pretty significant. But here's what he did, and I use this as example a lot because I think it's important. 
rather than get offended by it or pull back, what Drew did is he went back to his teammates, his African-American teammates, and mm -hmm. for 24 hours, he went and talked to as many of them as would talk to him. And, and he came back live on air publicly and says, ah, after talking with everyone and understanding why my comment, however well-intended it was, how it can create discord or, or kind of discontent and anger, I now fundamentally understand why it is. And I take it back. It is a time. And so he, you know, and, and that is, that's dialogue. So for all of us that face this, yeah, we can get in people's faces, you know, of course, and that works to some degree, but you're not going to change people's fundamental beliefs and values until you do the things that you and I, and many of us are doing, you just deliver. So back to the career thing I learned from day one is once I learned how to swing easy, I involved a lot of people, did a lot of collaboration. I was the bridge builder. I was the person anyone can come talk to. I was the person between two, you know, competing, warring, you know, organizations and senior leaders and departments. I became the person that could always make things work and listen. And then I have a phrase that says, listen, learn, and then only then can you lead that came out of that process. And so uh, I think, you know, I, I, dialogue is such a critical important to anything that we do. And, and, then, and then delivery. It, it sucks, but as minorities, underrepresented minorities, you, and I'm looking at the screen, very soon, you will have to work harder. Yeah. Period. End of sentence. There is no new paragraph. It sucks, but it's it's going to have to be that way. There's a guy who uh, who was uh, the first African American pilot uh, here at United, and mm -hmm. he said it. He said he said this wonderfully uh, many years ago. He grew up in Alabama and the, you know that segregation area, and he says, "Yeah, you learn as a young kid that you have to work twice as hard to get half as far, right?" And 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 I think that's improved. I think you should always work twice as hard until you do. And I think you get a lot further than you think. And, and I'm an example of that. And it, it is changing, but I think it, it helps more with dialogue than just full frontal uh, sort of attacks on things. That's just my particular style. Which is, it leads into my next question, just flowing. <laughs> You're just flowing right along. Um, you know, working twice as hard. That's something that I've, I've experienced myself, right? You know, you've got to push harder. You've got to be that squeaky wheel. You've got to kind of get in people's faces. Um, but the hardest part, and I'm sure other people can share the same sentiment, is how do you not lose that passion? Because you're a big advocate of following and pursuing your passions, being who you are, knowing who you are. Um, you know, but when you know the world is against you and you know that people believe these thoughts and have these feelings, how do you stay positive? <laughs> um, this is just a personal you know, question. No, no, listen. Um, um, I think we, we we touched on it briefly about the importance of mental health, of, yeah. of, of personal confidence. I, I think it stems, uh, at least in my opinion, sort of experience, is the more you learn to understand yourself and who you are, mm -hmm. um, what you do well, what you don't do well, what ticks you off, what throws you over the edge. And, and again, and accepting the fact that some of it can be petty or greedy or envious or just, you know, just not in this. Um, I just knowing yourself, uh, really, I always say when I make speeches, it's like, know yourself. It's like, and then I stop. It's like, no, really, you have to understand that we all have these various spectrum of psyches that we manage and fall and know that you're prone to some of them. Well, they're, they're, you know, the most obvious is temper. I have a temper. Well, you know, how do you manage and, and work through that? And, and so how do you how do you stay positive, Melty? Um, there, there's the concept of physical health, mental health, and I think to some degree, sort of, um, you know, uh, 
I'm trying to think of the third term, you know, something like religion, right? You know, yeah, it just, and I, again, I'm not pushing any one of these things, but the more you look for yourself, the more you know yourself, and the more you keep yourself healthy across all those things, you know, having something to believe in that's bigger than you, having something to work through, having something to rely on, whether it's meditation or yoga. I mean, there's a thousand different ways where people try to find themselves, um, but it is important to, to, um, to, to do that. And, and once you have that a little bit, you're still going to get slapped around. There's all sorts of stuff that's going to hit you and knock your ass down. And, mm-hmm. and, and that job of a leader, I always say, and this is something a boss said to me many, many years ago, hey, my job is to let you run and go and work and do whatever you got to do. And when you fall down, and my job is to go in there, pick you up, dust you off, mm-hmm. and then throw you right back into the fray. Because there is, there is no participation medals in life. There is nothing of that. You've got to make your own thing. And the more you get comfortable with yourself, and the more, A, the more people will come into your fold and provide you kindness and direction. I mean, I have so many stories of people, you know, who I'm thinking, you know, I'm all that. I'm the smart kid. I, I was the youngest at everything I did for so long. And then every once in a while, somebody that really, uh, I, I always say that sharing is caring. Yeah. Um, when somebody would come to you and say, you know, you're great, uh, you know, but it, if you have a minute, I wouldn't mind telling you about something else that you might want to do better. And I've had such wonderful course correction over time, and it's made a difference. And that's how you stay grounded in the sense that you can, you know, again, and it all stems back to my grandmother, right? In yeah. my, my angriest of moments when I want to lash out at someone, and I think the world is caving, nobody understands me, mm. you know, and when you're a public company uh, individual, a public person like myself and do what you do, um, you get a lot of opportunities to get thrashed about in all these different places. Yeah. Uh, and so, but, you know, knowing who you are and your principles and, you know, um, I, you'll probably ask me about one of my best and worst moments in career. And I, I, I have a specific example how knowing yourself makes a big, big difference. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, well, that was gonna, <laughs> that was going to be my question. What was the highlight and low light? But I'm going to save that for later because we're on mental health right now. Um, so the power of positivity. I believe in the power of positivity. You know what you say. You know manifests into the world. So what does what do you specifically do? I know you're big into fitness. Um, you kind of went through a, a tough time in your life um, in 2015. So what do you do to stay uh, mentally, physically? Uh, kind of sane? Uh, uh, everything and anything. Um, I think I uh, get back to the concept of, of um, you know, uh, personal health, mental health. And I, I think the term I was using maybe is emotional health. I think it's important to take care of all those three parameters. You know, I went through some pretty significant health issues while trying to do all that I just said. So again, there's always setbacks. Uh, so from a physical perspective, anything active, right? I love biking. I love, I used to love running. I used to run marathons. I've done some triathlons, all of that. I became a vegan for a while. I don't really recommend that part, I guess. <laughs> um, but um, uh, so that's a physical, yeah, from a, from an emotional health, um, you know, uh, I, I'm not an overly religious person, but I believe in something in that regard. Uh, and then there's all sorts of offshoots from that where, you know, mindfulness, you know, I don't meditate, but I love yoga. I love things like that. And then, you know, sort of from, a, a, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a um, a, a, a concept of, of who you really are. It's what I've been talking about, about understanding who, you're, who you are and, and staying, you know, in the, in the mental health space. So well, all those are important things, you know, but you got to work at them, right? We can all read books and say, I'm going to do it. Or you can buy the Peloton bike and watch it be the hanger for all your clothes. 
Um, There is a fundamental need to sort of, you know, create an energy within yourself that compels you. I was just talking to somebody, uh, I saw somebody on a a Zoom from United. Um, I guess I can mention his name, John Jibo, who is a delightful person. And is the husband of Kate Jibo, who is one of the incredible women in my life who runs HR for United and has done so many wonderful things. But he's lost almost 100 pounds. Wow. And you, and you ask him how he do it. He's like, it's, it's hard as hell. Right? Yeah. It's, it's just, you just don't do things like that without. But it takes an internal commitment and focus to get it done. And so, mm-hmm. you know, staying positive and all those three spectrums of well, your, your health is an important one for you to understand. Oh, absolutely. I'm a big component of working out, um, not only because I do cosplay, but I mean, just for me personally, mentally, it's that that stress relief because you dealing in the airport environment, you deal with the different personalities, you kind of absorb a lot of energy. So just kind of ridding yourself of that, you know, negativity in a sense helps me out. So it keeps me sane. That's the only thing I love to box. So that's like, yeah. my too. And, so it, and it leads, and it leads to emotional health and it leads yeah. to, you know, uh, uh, also, so it's, it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. I never pegged you for a yo- yogi yoga person. Oh, hey, I did a yoga <laughs> class. If anybody was on Peloton, there's an Elton John class that'll kick your butt. Oh my God. It's like, I'm this morning. I'm like, ouch. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, no, no. It's a, it's an intense. Uh, I love it though. That's it's a so great. Cool. Who would have thunk it? You learned something new. Oscar likes yoga. <laughs> Switching the gears back to your career. Um, so you kind of briefly touched it, the highs and lows um, of your career and overcoming them. What would you consider yourself? And this could be in any job because you've held, you know, different roles throughout your life. What is one of the highs of your career, highest moments? Um, you know, I've been, um, this will sound like a whole answers, you know, I have an incredible career. I've had so many moments. I, I've gotten a chance to, you know, be in rooms and meet with people personally and have reached out to me that run nations all over the world. Uh, when you run an airline, you're very sought after. So you get audience with other people. Uh, but I would say, you know, somebody asked me about my legacy at United, um, and, and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, and, and you know this because of the work that you do uh, and the people that work in our airports and work in our ramp and work in tech ops, the frontline people that do all the work in essence, mm-hmm. uh, people that are just w- wonderful, basic people. It's about as diverse a workforce as you can possibly imagine, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just who they are, uh, but they're just very normal very down earth human beings who whose entire mission in life is to provide for their families, right? I mean, that's why they do what they do. They're, there's no agenda, there's nothing. Um, and when people approach me, uh, and, and I, I don't say this easily, uh, in tears, with hugs, with a genuine heartfelt human emotion, they look you in the eyes and they say, thank you. And thank you for, not, not for what you've done for United and stock right. price or whatever. They don't really care about that stuff. What they care about, like all of us as humans, is that somebody freaking values me. Yeah. You know, people, when, when they say you have brought to, you know, you've brought to us, they say, but it, you know, I know what it means is that, you know, it sucks to work at a place. I mean, when I first started United and people would say things like, you know, it's so, I'm so embarrassed to work here that if I'm at a party and someone asks me where I work, I'd rather say I am I am without a job. I am unemployed than to say I work at United. And you've seen the people that change their badge around and also they yeah. see their name. Uh, to take people that have gone through that emotion, imagine going to a place where you, it sucks to go to work, to a yeah. place where all of a sudden there's vibrancy, there's a future, not only from a business perspective, but 
who I am as a person. And I think, you know, the core four we introduced and the things that we've done, the backstage events for CSRs and flight attendants, um, yeah. all of that is a caring that says to a human being, you know what? People people care about what I think and value. And I have an avenue to voice my concerns. Um, that makes sense. So if, as I think of a, a legacy as to have made, you know, from 70 to 100,000 people, depending on which numbers you count and when, given the, the pandemic, uh, that people have felt better about themselves. And that, you know, that that's investing in others and giving back in a way that that kindness that they will show to others because of how they is 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 issue. And it's it's a lot of the foundation of the new spirit at United. People are just like, you know what? I feel better about how people treat me. And so I'm going to try and treat others um, better as well. And so uh, that's the old uh, another old adage that it works. And my 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 story is proof, not yeah. promise that that indeed can help and work in the environment that we started with at United. Oh, I absolutely love it. I mean, I, you can, you walk into a room, I remember, and you could just, you could feel that love that you have for your frontline employees. And that think that's why I came back. I used to work in airport ops outside. Um, what I really missed was that interaction, that human interaction, that talking to someone and asking, you know, how are you? How is your day? How but really, how are you? <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's, I mean, for me personally, you've been an inspiration for me just kind of from a distance. So that's why I was like super geeked and stoked. And I was like, yeah, Oscar wants to talk to me. So thank you <laughs> for doing that. <laughs> um, I don't know if you want to talk about lows and it could be anything. I mean, we all know one of the lows. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I you know what it's, it, you know, it's, it's interesting how everybody always uh, sort of, uh, especially now that it's it's gone, it's so long ago and so many good things have happened. You know, a lot of people are just nice and don't want to sort of in any way dredge that up or, you know, journalists in particular, like, you know, well, I got to bring up some you know edgy sort of stuff. I never, I never and will never ever shy away from it. And you know what? Neither will Scott, neither will Brett, neither will Kate, whatever. Because I think fundamentally what we learned from that period of time is that we do not want anyone, any one of us to ever forget uh, what happened with Dr. Dow. Yeah. Um, from a standpoint is that, you know, in an instant, Everyone's life changed. The trajectory of our company, everything we were doing, we we're establishing, um, and and you know the I talk about it so often in the way that you know we had a chance to experience um, something that unfortunately was harmful for a bit, but the way we went about it over the course of time, after some initial sort of screw ups on my part, uh, yeah. was you know the, what we were able to do quickly thereafter really began to even more strongly bond. Our, our company. I always use the example that the two months following that event, uh, and after my Good Morning America uh, uh, TV uh, appearance a couple of days later, um, we had the strongest operational uh, uh, records in our company and in the industry where we had been sort of flailing behind. And that is the power of human spirit, right? Yeah. You know, the, it was unfair and it was not, not united. Nobody cared, right? Everybody just wanted to you know, just just uh, just come down on us, and that's the way the world works. Um, and so, um, you know, one of the things that um, that that shapes your career, I always say to folks, um, you're always going to face a a time and a place where, so for me, this is Dr. Dow thing, where you know there is no one around you to help you make a decision. There's no one kind of teach you what to say or not say when you're going in front of millions of people on Good Morning America. You know what what you know what they want to do. They want to catch a CEO, you know, a little bit or spinning or whatever. And they, they're just, they are just loaded for bear and they're going to get you. And uh, over the course of the evening, I mean, I, I always tell the story. I, 
Now I went down on my hands and knees in the middle of the night and I, and I looked above again, not overly religious, but I was really le- reaching out to my maternal grandmother that we spoke about earlier. So that comes full circle. Yeah. And, and it was like, what would, you know, it's like, I know it's try. What would she have done? You know, was I raised to try and spin a story that says, you know, nobody from United was really involved in that, right? It was the police. It was another, it was express, you know, all that, none of that matters, right? It was our brand, our concept. So I just went up and then she tried to fire this big question at me. I said, you know what? You're correct. I was wrong. I let, I, me, let, you know, the, the policies and procedures get in the way of doing the right thing for another human being. And that should have never happened. And once you say something like that, they don't really have a lot of places to go. <laughs> you know, that's what, that wasn't necessarily what I was coached to say, uh, but uh, I, I just, it had to be me. And I had to think about how am I going to defend whatever I say going forward? If it doesn't come from inside and who I am, and again, my heritage, my upbringing, my influences, um, all of that, um, I'm, I'm always going to have to tell that fake story that isn't me. So I said, right. you know what? Hey, I don't care. And then as you know, everybody got crazy about it for a little while, yeah. but there, there was nowhere to go from that. It's like, right. he's kind of said that he owns it. It's his problem. And here's what they're going to do about it. And you can just repeat that because that was the meaningful thing. It didn't make everyone happy. Uh, I still talk about it to this day when people inside the company would say, will say, like, why did you do that? Why didn't you just you know, tell them the truth about what really happened and how it wasn't united? Right. Because you know what? That just, that's not who I am. It's like, you know, the, the, the buck does stop at a certain place. And right. that happens to be in my office. Right. And But again, uh, I know with all of you that are listening, uh, there'll be a time and place where you have to rely on who you really are, which is back to my issue, knowing who you are, knowing what influences you, knowing your convictions about things, you'll get tested. You can fake it a lot of times, but yeah. there's a time and place where there is no all. For me, being in front of you know millions of people, <laughs> Good Morning America, on this subject was that time. Because it's like, oh, crap, right? I, the, yeah. the fate of the corporation, of the brand, of, yeah. frankly, of my heritage, our heritage, and what we do. You know, all of that was in play because, you know, if it went badly. Um, but then, again, my grandmother would say, why would you do anything but just say the truth and say what you really feel? And that's by far the most defensible, you know, even if. People deem it wrong. And, and transparency and telling the truth goes a long way. I mean, that's one thing I've learned throughout life. I mean, eventually things kind of come twofold. And um, as journalists, you have to ask those questions. But as an individual, just, you know, telling the truth is something that, I mean, you get re- respect and it's valued, you know, so that's definitely inspirational. I mean, you turn something negative into something positive for the whole culture of a company, um, core four caring. Um, it's just, that's something that we preach to this day and we still practice it. And as a leader myself, I mean, I'm like, do the right thing. What, what's the right thing to do for the customer? No, so, you mentioned the word that's probably most important. We haven't talked. In fact, I have a, I, I have a, a fireside chat in an hour or so. Uh, and the concept is about trust, trust in corporations and how trust. And I just happen to believe that trust is the most important thing in anything you do. I mean, and it's like, well, you know, there's lots of books about a lot of things you can do in business, but at the end of the day, as a human being, and all businesses have human beings inside them, uh, the lack of trust creates rancor. And the, the uh, when you have trust, so many things can happen because people are making decisions in their mind every moment of the day. And if there's trust and goodwill, they'll do the right thing to your to your point. And if there's not, they're gonna like you know what? No one does the right thing for me. Guess what? I ain't gonna do it either. And right. in our business, that's that's death, right? And that's anathema. No, absolutely. 
Yeah, no, thank you for that. Um, we did touch, I, I did have a question about diversity, equity, inclusion, but kind of throughout the whole conversation, that's something that we've talked about was diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think it's great how the company itself is doing so much for, um, you know, minorities, especially in aviation with Aviate. Um, one question I had for you is, what can we do to be more inclusive, which you've kind of touched, but personally, what, in your opinion, what can we do as um, you know, Yeah, I, I, I think um, a lot of companies are doing a lot of different things and they're trying to mimic each other. And you know, there's a lot of conversation about what people do. I, I told you off, off line that I, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing as many Hispanic Heritage Month speeches as I would normally do, because when the same companies call back and I, my first question is, all right, what progress have you made in this space since we last spoke? And if they can't really articulate anything meaningful, then it's like, you know what, when you do call me back and I'll be happy to talk because there has to be, you know, I'm not going to invest my time to talk just to have a lot of smiley faces and everybody nodding their head and they move on. There has to be some action. So there are moving some things. I think the one thing that I'm really pushing with every company that I have beyond all the initiatives and all the things that people are doing, which are wonderful and great, at some point in time, there has to be a mechanism, a feedback mechanism that actually touches on an individual's emotions and feelings about whether or not they feel included in the world around them in their workplace. And that is a tough, really, really, really hard benchmark. But that fundamentally is the end of it, right? If, 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 if we're doing all this stuff, but privately you and I talk and you say, you know what, I, I still feel like X or Y or other people get ahead or I'm still... In, in certain rooms, still being excluded by little nuances and what I call them microaggressions. And we have all sorts of words for them. Um, mm -hmm. Providing a, a, uh, people that feel that way, an avenue um, to create what I talked about earlier, dialogue, is what is important. Because you, you know we have to be allowed to say those things. And nobody wants to hear them because we want to see the metrics. And you know we've increased from X percent to X percent of the Latino women in different places. All of that is wonderful. But how do people really feel? And by the way, that also includes the majority of people, which in our business, you know, still tends to be in certain places more more white. Um, how does everyone really feel? And that's true inclusive, and that's true uh, that's true uh, understanding. And so, creating a mechanism where people can actually talk and and you know, if you feel a certain way, you can call in without attribution, without any concern, and and have a conversation with an individual who will have no judgment and understand what you're talking about, and then seek out a way. Hey, do I go talk to your supervisor and say maybe he or she shouldn't say things like, "Hey, how about that fiery Latina? You got anything to say today or whatever?" You know, and you know, probably somebody thinks that that's cute, right? Oh yeah, but you're being yeah. singled out and fiery and Latina and speak right. out, and it's like you're creating a thing. It's like I'm sorry. Yes, I have an opinion. Yes, it's learned, and yes, I would like to have it in. I don't need to be. I don't need to have it characterized in a certain way. Now, I don't want to be a jerk and call him out for or, for racism. But I'd appreciate if we could have a dialogue about that and say, you know, you have to do that. Do you, with somebody that's white, do you say something about, hey, well, hey, how about any white people? Do you guys have, yeah. <laughs> why do you, why do you have to make the, the differentiations? I mean, there, there can be something more that you can do. And so right. I, and I just think people just need to know that, right. um, you know, and so I, I think I would take the, some additional steps in that regard with regards to DEI. What I'm hearing is, um, you know, definitely speak your truth and don't be afraid to speak it. I mean, that's one thing I learned, you know, if I, I ask, I say what's on my mind and whatever yeah. happens. And as, and as leaders, and you, you as a supervisor and uh, leaders for all you do, provide yeah. that place 
that open door, yeah. you know, whether it's a formal function or process or organization, or it's just you and your character who just says, who can spot it. It's like, Hey, you see someone who's all of a sudden has become more quiet than before, yeah. you know, and the true leadership is really understanding. And what I do, I mean, the pulse of our company, I was always fairly in tune with, because as much as I traveled, what I did during my travels when I was in an airport is I went into every single nook and cranny of those places and just walked in. And I just, Hey, how's it going? And in that simple spirit, people would tell you everything. And yeah. I would know that. And it was frustrating to some of our leaders. It's like, how the hell does he know that? <laughs> but, but again, it's it, getting people to open up and then build and have that trust to do that. It's just an incredible, I think, um, ars- a bit of arsenal and the leadership quiver of things. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, Oscar, we're getting the near of our, uh, the end of our interview. Um, I do have some kind of lighthearted, fun questions. <laughs> First, a shout out from a couple of people. Daniel um, from Special Chronicles wants to give you a shout out. <laughs> Podcast, Podman. Pod- Podcast, yeah. Podcast. Um, he's definitely been inspiring me and we've been working together and teaching me a lot of tricks of the trade. So see, he says, hello. Um, I have another individual at United. I was like, what do you want to ask Oscar? Uh, they said, can you ask him to come back? <laughs> so I'm just putting it out there. I was like, okay, I will let him know. <laughs> um, and I have a question um, from, uh, I have a correspondent I work with. He has another podcast, um, Watch Your Attitude with Level Aviation. And one of the questions that he typically asks is, what's your favorite in-flight snack? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, um, we don't have many uh, snacks anymore. And <laughs> Uh, we had the boxes there for a while, which if I see another one of those boxes, I think I'm oh, going to scream. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just because it, it's just repetition. Um, I, I would say that my the best um, snack is 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 watching how our teams serve it. Um, so it doesn't matter. You know, there's an old phrase that serving filet with a frown is worse than you know you know having something with a smile. And I think that smile quotient and making a customer feel like whatever they're receiving is being done in a meaningful, heartfelt, genuine, hey, I care about your way. I, I love watching that. I love, you know, and flight attendants in particular have different ways of doing it. And they go through ups and downs themselves and their emotions. And so it's not always easy for them to do that. But when they're on and you watch them taking care of anything, I mean, a customer's like, hey, dude, I'll take whatever, I'll take whatever you have, right? I mean, it's like, no, yeah, great. Thank you. Because- You've made them feel good and special, and you know, and I think that's probably my the, 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 the thing I like the most is watching that. Okay, that's a good answer. <laughs> I have another question from an individual who asked. Um, I believe one of your sons did an internship with United. Um, so, in regards to your children, is anyone else following, or have they followed um, aviation? No, they all have uh, they all have incredible careers of their own in different spaces, and they forge their own. Uh, I have a young one who was the intern uh, there at O'Hare, unpaid intern, by the way, just to make sure um, that um, that uh, you know he's still in college, and I think he has a desire to do something different. But you never know; uh, he may come back. Uh, he learned a lot. Uh, he learned a lot. He worked with some uh, folks on the ramp, in particular, a guy that's. Larry Firstine, who's now 50 years of service. So you get a, someone that's so senior, has been around man, 50 years, like, wow. That's a lot. And then a kid who's like, you know, he was still in high school, I think, at the time when he did his thing. Yeah. So you take that kind of watching those two come together 
and they're like they're like the best of buddies. They text with each other. When when Larry's wife was ill, my son felt it as much as he would have felt if his own mom was involved. Um, and but just the, you know the, the the sort of the vast gap between the two of them uh, with social everything. And and then from Larry's perspective, I mean, he he would say it's like you know I I, I never really trusted people that are not like me, right? And not not so much diversity, but he was like, you know, he's a young kid from a wealthy family because he he belongs to you. And what are we going to do with him? But yeah. to watch him work his ass off and do everything he was told and listen intently, he comes to me and he says, you know what? You did a good job. And that's, <laughs> you know, there is, there is no, as a parent and probably as a human, there's no greater attribute than the legacy you leave that says, you know, you've done good for other people and you've done good for your children and, and we can see it. And it changed, it changed Larry's view on a lot of things. Um, and so uh, those are just the wonderful you know, examples of, of what life uh, can do for you when you get a platform to be able to sort of expand and expound on your heritage, your, your empathy, your caring and your leadership style. Oh, wow. Absolutely. I, I think I also remember um, like, Oh, that's Oscar's son. <laughs> it's like everyone be on your bus behavior. Yeah. And if you got to know him, he was just a goofy <laughs> kid that just wanted to work. And and it's funny because, you know, they, they, they ran him through different things. He hated the office stuff. Like, Dad, <laughs> I, I get it. And so I said, all right, let's get him on the ramp. And then I went down to uh, zone six where he was working. Yeah. And I said, hey, I know you guys are thinking. And I, said, I, said, I, said, I said, remember, you know how we have to pick up stuff on the, on the tarmac that's yeah. all over the place? I said, uh, uh, especially if it's a dead animal or something, you need somebody to go do that. I said, that's his job. And it was just my funny, simple way of telling them. It's like, he is all yours. Make him work. He's here like anyone else. And, yeah. and, and my son embraced it and did it and, you know, hooked up with Larry. And they're the best of the oddest couple you'll ever see. Because my wow. son is six foot three. And then Larry is, you know, much smaller. <laughs> it's, it's just funny to watch them. I, I love those pictures of them that I still keep to this day. Treasure oh, that. Priceless. Absolutely. Um, so a couple, two, two questions and I'm done. Uh, your position has allowed you to meet a variety of individuals. Um, who is the one person that you have like geeked out over that you've met like a celebrity or. <laughs> uh, oh gosh. Um, so many incredible people. Um, you know, I, I've met Bezos and Gates and Warren Buffett and seen them in environments and I'll see that. Um, you know, I don't, I, I'm not as, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sort of immune to some of those things just because, um, uh, just because there's nothing more. No, it's just, it's just that I, I kind of know what they go through and I know they're real humans. And, and I, I think there's a, uh, it's hard to pinpoint uh, any one of those uh, folks. I think uh, it, my stories are more like the Larry story I just told. Those okay. are the people that you meet that just, uh, you know, their appreciation for who you are and what you do is so genuine so human that yeah. you know you've made an impact there there is no agenda you know i get accolades and people read you know uh, you know they introduce me with all these wonderful words and all that sort of stuff and you know yeah thank you i've learned all that and I, I guess that's great but it's the people that just at the very human level really that those are the those are the people that i've met across my life and you know there are a lot of them are you know united family members yeah okay all right i guess the question i should have asked is who would you want to meet? And I know we talked earlier, probably Linda Carter, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about, she, was, she was a, she was definitely a childhood crush. You know, okay. I, I always, in fact, I asked that question when I have a, a, a unique group of people. Um, and I used to go to dinners and have all these notables from certain areas in our hubs. 
And one of the questions I would ask is similar to say, hey, if you had a chance to, you know, living or not, who would you who would you want to have? And I always answer the question with with uh, Abraham Lincoln. And that, this is not a political statement, but I, I read his book. It's called Team of Rivals. But in essence, how not only did he shape the course of, of modern America with regards to slavery or at least change the course, um, but he also put together a cabinet of rivals, people that have raced, have, have ran against them, did not agree with them. But it was the first true sense of diverse bridge building of history that I can relate to. And while I would never at all consider myself anywhere near the qualities of someone like Abraham Lincoln, uh, the fundamental aspect of bridging uh, bridging people together for the greater good of his and the country, for me, the greater good of our department, our organization, our company, our heritage, um, I think is a foundation that I think I, I would have loved to spend more time with him uh, to sort of even understand that um, a lot more deeply. Definitely an honest answer. <laughs> good old honest <laughs> Well, Oscar, thank you. I look forward to, um, so there's a book coming out maybe in the future. If you do write a book or if you're working on it, I look forward to reading that. We are, we are working on it slowly, but surely. Okay, awesome. You guys hear that? There's a book coming out. Look forward to it. Oscar, thank you for taking the time. This was truly an honor. Thank you for being on the Wonder Woman of Aviation. When I get Linda Carter on the podcast, I will invite you. That'll <laughs> <laughs> uh, be great. So. Okay. Bye. I mean, Linda Carter, who used to be Wonder Woman, was one of my childhood crushes, like big time. <laughs> she's been like an inspiration for me for so long. Just being, you know, being Latina, and she's a little bit of uh, both. She's bicultural. Right. right. A lot of people didn't know. I didn't know she was uh, Latina as well, like Carter. You wouldn't think, but um, she does have uh, Latin roots. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to get her. That's my goal. <laughs> I aim high. That's hard. If you get her, the, the, the three of us can do it, right? So the. Uh, <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think her Latina roots will will help in that regard. And ours, it's just kind of, it would it'd be fun. She'd love it. Um, well, to all of you that are podcast watchers, uh, there's many things out there, but there's a few that are genuine in their desire to truly um, blaze a trail for regular people like a lot of us are. And I really recommend this particular podcast and this incredible Wonder Woman of her own, Natalia. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others or post about it on social media.